As we start to look at God's Word and, and think, just let me help you uh, mentally kind of get engaged here this morning. Uh, I want you to imagine walking into somebody's house and a father and, a, and in this case, say, a son is having a conversation. And you walk in, and as we often do in conversations, is that we don't catch everything. We just kind of catch something. But all you hear from the Father is, I don't want you, I don't want you to envy those kind of people. I wonder what was going on that brought that about. I don't want you to envy those kind of people. You'd certainly like to know more of the backstory and what was, what was happening and what the discussion was. There's probably an interesting story there, as this father is seemingly concerned about his son and says, "I don't want you to envy those kind of people." Three times in the book of Proverbs, that statement appears, and I'm, I'm going to make you, if you're willing to. Uh, that's sort of a, that doesn't make sense, does it? If you're not willing, I can't make you. But uh, I'm going to encourage you to have your Bible open and walk with me because uh, normally I don't do this, but in this message I'm taking you to a number of scriptures. So uh, let your fingers do the walking through the whatever. Um, you might have printed page or a digital version. They're both good to me. Proverbs chapter 1, I'd like you to, or Proverbs chapter 3, I'd like you to look and see the first one. Proverbs 3, 31. Proverbs 3, 31. Proverbs 3, 31 says, Do not envy a man of violence, and do not choose any of his ways. Do not envy a man of violence, and do not choose any of his ways. Now flip all the way forward to chapter 23, Proverbs 23, verse 17. Proverbs 23, verse 17. Let not your heart envy sinners but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Do not let your heart envy sinners. First one, remember, do not envy a man of violence. Do not let your heart envy sinners. And then the last one is in Proverbs 24, verse 1. That's just in the very next chapter. envious of evil men nor desire to be with them there are several repeated uh, issues in the book of Proverbs not it's not entirely but there's several repeated the fear of the Lord is repeated a lot this is one that is repeated three times 
do not envy certain people. And I remind you that my little illustration, although made up, is not uh, extracted from this book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is primarily a father giving instruction to his son. And by extension, parents and teaching their children. But, but contextually, it's a father sitting down with his son, warning him and teaching him about certain things. And we have just been parachuted into a living room when we overhear daddy say, don't be envious of those kind of men. I wonder what the son was doing. I'm not going to answer that question entirely, but I wonder what the son was doing that, would fought, that the father would say, do not envy them. The word envy means to have a, that you see a quality or a characteristic in somebody else that you want to be like that. In fact, the Hebrew language is even more intense. It speaks of a, of, a, of a love and a passion to have that as your own. Envying is the twin sister to coveting. We read about that in the Ten Commandments. It's a, envy and coveting are just are synonyms. The, to covet is to, is to desire something so greatly, to, to delight in it. Another word is lust or greatly desire. And so daddy is saying to son, parents by extension are saying to their children, don't envy, don't have this desire to be like them. Don't look at them with that sense of I want to be like them with intense desire. I wonder what channel the sun had on that day. I wonder what game he was playing. I'm serious. See, the principle is very clear. Be very careful. If you're the type that likes to take notes and you want to put down a note of what the main point of this message is, be very careful who you admire. Be very careful who you admire because the Bible will teach elsewhere that those you admire you become like. Those you admire you become like. So be very careful who you admire. And in this case the father it clearly saying in general terms, don't admire evil people. Don't look at wicked people and admire them. Don't look at violent people and admire them. Don't be looking and say, I wish I could be like them. So what, what do you think Proverbs, the author of Proverbs, means by wicked, evil people. This is very important for us to clarify because it could be in our minds this morning that a wicked person is the person who is on the most wanted list in the police detachment. It might, it might come across to you that an evil person is 
is a person who has a long rap sheet and is always in trouble with the law. He slinks around in or she slinks around in the dark selling drugs and narcotics. Maybe an evil person is a person who frequents places where there is rampant sexual immorality. What do you think the writer to Proverbs means about an evil person? Is it a Stalin? Is it, an, it's a, is it a Hitler? Is it a Middle Eastern terrorist? Was the evil person the person that flew an airplane into one of the towers in New York City? Is that what, what, what do you mean? Don't, don't want to be like them? I challenge your thinking this morning on what the Bible means by an evil, wicked person. So walk with me as I take some time to lead you down that road. And turn with me to Psalms, just the next book. Psalms chapter 1. I'll just give you a, a hint on when this daddy says to the boy, don't, don't emulate, don't be like a, an evil person. Uh, does he have a terrorist in mind? Is that the question? Notice Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. There's that word again. Nor stands in the way of scorners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. The songwriter is comparing a blessed man and a wicked man. And the main difference between a blessed man, a righteous man, and a wicked man is that the blessed man delights in God's word. I know this can come across hard, and I'm trying to tone my own emotions down. A wicked person is a person who scorns the word of God. A wicked person who lives their life unbridled to the word of God. A wicked person is a person that says to God, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you tell me. I will do what I want to do when I want to do it and how I want to do it. I am free of the fetters of God. We get into that in the second psalm, which I haven't got time to expose right now. The wicked person says, I don't want to have any demands of God on my life. I want to be free. I want to be like a horse that's brought out into the pasture with the, with, with, with the totally unfettered and free to just run and do what I want. The Bible says that's a wicked person. No respect for God's word. Doing what they want when they want. Dr. Woodrow Kroll, who was the, one of the past speakers of the Back to the Bible radio program, he's also the core author of a wonderful commentary, King James Version commentary. He writes this, The glamorous lives of the worldly are often arouse great envy 
in young and old alike. What he's saying is that there's a danger for our young people to look at the glamorous lives. What are the glamorous lives? They are men and women who say, I get to do what I want to do, when I want to do, with what I want to do, and how I want to do it. I'm free. I can buy property anywhere in the world. I can build massive mansions on it. I can drive big cars. I can do all I want to do. I can be single and have 15 girls at my pool party. I can just party. I can dress the way I want. I can live the way I want. That has a natural appeal to us sinful human beings. Cole's right. The glamorous lives of the worldly arouse envy. And I believe this daddy in this living room is saying to his son, as his son has somehow seen what is rich and glamorous and famous and free and seen to be living the life, and say, don't, don't envy that son. Don't envy that son. You are a mature audience, and you know very well that I don't have to explain this. But television, social media, advertising, print media, all portray a lifestyle that is so appealing. And I'm constantly going to use this word, unbridled. It's a biblical word in Proverbs. It's, I'm unbridled. I'm not tied to the Word of God. I'm not tied to God's will. I get to do what I want, when I want, with what I want. We are inundated through all the advertising and television and movies and media and often friends with a lifestyle that seems so glamorous. One of the songwriters in the Bible had that problem. Turn with me to Psalm 73. Psalm Writer is a psalm writer by the name of Asaph. He came to a point where he had heard and had it proclaimed that God is good to Israel. But in verse 3 he says that he was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph was in this place. He saw the rich and the glamorous and the wealthy. The people that were making big names for themselves. He saw how prosperous they were. And in verse 4 he says, it seems that they had no problems. They didn't have any health problems. Their bodies were fat and sleek. That's Hebrew code for tanned in good shape, skinny, bathing suits look great on them. They seem to have it all. Verse 5, they're not in trouble as others are. 
They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. They're not worrying about where their next paycheck comes from. They're not worrying about where their next job is going to come from. They're living the life. They're living the life of glamour. And Asaph was bothered by this. I'm a follower of God. I'm a covenant child in Israel. And I'm experiencing difficulty and, and, and struggles in my life. And I go look out my window. And all of those who have turned their back on God, on His Word, doing their own thing, they're living free, happy lives, they seem to have it so good. They seem to have it so wonderful. Like, don't they have any problems? Do, do they never lose one night's sleep ever? The psalm goes on. But look at verse 16 and 17. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. He was getting depressed. Let's be real. He was getting depressed. He was getting really down. I'm living for God. I'm following the covenant. And everyone else around me who is not doing that is doing well. And I'm suffering. And then verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. What does he mean by that? It means I fell on my face before God and I spent some time with God and I heard from God. And guess what I heard from God? You see it in your Bibles. You just, just look at it. I discerned their end. Do you know what Asaph saw? He saw hundreds of glamorous people who had ignored God, who had said, I want to live unfettered from God's will and words. I want to do my own thing. I want to live life the way I want to live life. And he saw them all marching towards the judgment and spending eternity in hell. He saw their end. He saw their end. Then he says in verse 18, Truly you set them in a slippery place. You make them fall to ruin. How are they destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors? This is really unfair. But you, you picture a red carpet of an awards program. You picture the rich and the famous the scantily dressed women, the guys that have women flogging all over them. You, you look at the million-dollar display there, and you look at that red carpet, and then you read Psalm 73, and you say, but I know their end, and someday that red carpet will slip away, and they will go to eternity, and they'll be dead forever in suffering. Don't envy the wicked. Don't envy the violent. The glamorous, attractive individuals in life will have an end. When Christians look at this excitement and this glitter, and it comes to me too as well as you, 
We start to doubt God, as Asaph said. Well, I don't know if you're really good. I don't know if you're really good. My neighbor, he never, he never pays attention, and I'm speaking theoretically here. My neighbor never pays attention to God, doesn't even care about God. And he's got the cars and the trucks and the toys. What's wrong with me? Why am I left out? The answer is he's on a slippery slope and the Bible tells you his end if he doesn't repent. The prosperity of the ungodly can arouse great discontent in Christians. We start to, we start to complain about the goodness of God and the grace of God. There's men, godly men, though, that watch this and see this thing. And guess where our hearts are turned? Are turned to start to envy a man who can have five or six women hanging off him, scantily dressed, paying all their attention to him. That looks very appealing when it's on the screen. Wives can look at television and movies and social media and magazines and say, why can't I live in a house like that? Why can't I have that? Why do I have to go out and work all day long? Why can't I sit at home and have my drinks on my back porch and have my girlfriends over playing cards? Children can envy that. Children can envy the toys and one of the things I've noticed as a parent, one of the things that children pick up really, really quickly, do you know what they envy most? They envy their friend who lives in a home where their parents let them do what they want. And those children will come to you and say, I want that kind of lifestyle. Why do I always have to do my chores? Why do I have to le listen to you read your Bible and to me and my Bible stories? I want to live in their house. They can stay up till 3 in the morning playing video games and they're 11 years old. That part was not hypothetical. And Daddy comes along and says, Don't envy that kind of person. Because if that is their style of life and that's how they continue, they will end up in hell. Men can envy. Christian men who are tuned to God's word, who are tuned to his church, can envy. Because you get up in the morning and you're working hard to get your kids to church on Sunday and your neighbor is hooking up his boat and you know exactly where he's going and you're saying, why can't I do that? The plague of the Christian church is to envy the wicked. And the reminder of this message is, as Asaph said, Go before God and learn their end, and everything will change. I get this in my face a lot because there's certain things I love that just cause me to walk very dangerously close to envy. When you're a guy like me that likes to walk 
watch Shark Tank and watch all these billionaires make, making all great decisions about other people. And you look at a guy like Kevin O'Leary and you think, man, oh man, he's got it all made. It's very helpful for me to remember that if Kevin O'Leary does not repent and turn to Jesus Christ, he will die in his sins and all the money that he is so proud of will die with him. Son, do not envy wicked men. Son, do not envy violent men. That ought to convict parents today. I see so many children spending all their times doing things and playing things with very violent pictures in front of them. And if you think that isn't going to affect you, you are in another planet. Verse 16 and 17 is so important. In Psalm 8, 73, until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. The emotions of Asaph lifted. He was depressed seeing all the prosperity of the wicked. But as soon as he saw their end, suddenly it changed. You see, like Randy Alcorn has said, and, and I'm quoting him, he says, For Christians, you may be called to suffer and do without. But he says, for Christians, this is the closest you will ever be to hell. But for all the people that are living the glamorous life apart from God, that's the closest they're ever going to be to heaven. Beloved, get that point. The pain and suffering, the things that you deny for Jesus Christ today, will be the closest thing you ever get to hell. But if you throw God off, if you live life apart from his word and his will, and if you say, I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it, with whom I want to do it with, that is the closest thing to heaven you will ever experience because your destiny will be hell. I've called this series, and I do this every time we have a dedication. I've just found it to be an appropriate time. I call it Parenting Proverbs because... Book of Proverbs is entirely devoted to this. It's the teaching of parents to their children. And if you're a parent here this morning, you probably ought to be asking yourself, if you're not, if you're listening online, and again, we welcome you who are listening online, if you're a mommy or a daddy, you should be asking, how can I raise my children so they do not fall enamored by all the glamour that they see on television and movies and media and books and video games and whatever else. How can I lead my children so they don't become envious of these things? And the answer is given in Proverbs 23:17. Proverbs 23:17. Let not your heart envy sinners but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. A heart that envies sinners is contrasted with a heart that continues in the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? It's that living in respect and awe and admiration and delight and enjoyment in God. That's the fear of the Lord. In 
in one sentence, in an easy-to-understand sentence, the way you teach your children not to delight in the things of this world is to teach them to delight in God. The way you teach your children not to delight in the things of this world is to, that they would de delight and treasure and enjoy God. A heart that enjoys God will easily see the foolishness of this world. So how do you teach your children to do that? How do you teach your children to really enjoy God and treasure Him and delight in Him and be awe of Him? You know, your jaw drops when you say that word awe. You go, oh. How do you teach your children to be that way? Well, there's a number of ways. I'm going to leave three practical things for you parents this morning. And, then, and I'm sure there's more ways we could talk about. But here's three. Number one, boast in Christ often in your home. Boast in Christ often in your home. I get that from Psalm 145. And again, I ask you to turn so you see it for yourself. Mark it, underline it, do whatever you do. Highlight it. Psalm 145. Verses 6 and 7. They speak of your might, of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Who's more famous than a movie star? Who's more famous than a, than a big-time wrestler? Who's more famous than a than a hero on TV? I'm going to tell you it's God. And some of you know that. But one of the things that we have maybe dropped the ball on in our home is we don't talk about the fame of God enough. We don't boast about God enough. We don't give glory to God enough. We don't give credit to God enough. Our children need to hear a constant refrain in our home of thankfulness to God, of gratefulness to God. Whether we're eating and drinking, we're giving glory to God. It's that constant sound that our children hear that will awaken their hearts to realize that there, are, there is someone that is more famous. There is someone more glorious. There is someone greater than what they hear and see in the world. Speak often of his greatest greatness. Solomon, with all his riches, Solomon with all his women, Solomon with all his glory, Solomon with all his fame, when compared to Jesus, the biblical answer was, someone greater than Solomon is here. And moms and dads, you need to promote that message. Someone greater than Solomon is in this home. Speaking often of his greatness. May your home become a home of praise and glory. Whether it's little things or big things, God gets the glory. One, number one, boast in Christ often in your home. Number two, tell your children stories. Tell your children 
stories. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. I hope, moms and dads, those here, those listening, I hope it is common for you to tell your children, the stories of how God has intervened and blessed and encouraged you in your life. I hope you don't forget those days when God met you in a very particular way. Those days when you were perhaps feeling that the world was coming to an end and God intervened. Those days when God was unique and specially a comfort to you I hope you don't forget those days, and I hope you don't forget to tell your children about those days. One question I could ask this morning, if I could ask every child here, tell me about how your mom met Christ, and what were the events going on in her life, and what changed in her life after she was saved. Have you told your children that? Your children know the stories of God in your story. That's what Israel is being told to do. They're now moving into the, into the, into the land of Canaan. And Moses is reminding, look what God has done for you. He's brought you out of Egypt. He saved you. You went through an, a, a miracle where, where firstborn were dying all over the place, but you were rescued. You, you went to the Red Sea. You went to a place of no water and a rock came forth water. Don't forget those stories. Don't forget those stories. The third thing is, and these are deadly practical, boast in Christ often in your home. Secondly, tell them your own stories often. And thirdly, tell the children the stories of the Bible. You might be sitting here saying, well, of course, Pastor Jim. Uh, no, I wouldn't bring it up if it, wasn't ha if it was happening. A Sunday school teacher in a church, not in our church, told me very recently that she's surprised at how few stories children know of the Bible. Very few stories children know of the Bible. I'm afraid the Bible has become a dusty book in our homes. I'm, I'm very fearful of that. I don't like to talk about myself, but I'm going to tell you, I still today have a memory of my father. My father had an old lazy boy chair that fit only him. He was a huge man. But one of the most often memories I have of my father in the evening is sitting in his lazy boy chair reading his Bible. Just reading his Bible. When 
was the last time, moms and dads, your children caught you just sitting reading your Bible? Children are quite familiar with talking cucumbers, but they're not familiar with talking snakes or talking donkeys. If you don't know what I just mean, that you're indicted and you have to go back and read your Bible. Children today are very familiar with cat in the hat, but they're not familiar with Christ in the wilderness. Simply reading children, your sto the stories of the Bible is the one of the most exciting, titillating thing you can imagine. If I had a son, maybe someday I'll have a grandson, I'll get to do this, I'm going to spend all my time reading the book of Judges to him. And this little guy who has all these action figures on the floor and all these toys, I'm going to tell him about a guy, Ehud, who killed thousands of people with the goat of an ox. Because I want him to admire a godly man who is fearless in the will of God rather than some plastic joker on the floor. The stories of the Bible are absolutely thrilling. They are absolutely thrilling. And anything on television, on a video game, is absolutely pale compared to what God presents to you. One of the greatest realities of the Bible is that it's, we see it in all its absolute awesome coldness and, and, and reality. It's not covered up. The Bible calls sin, sin, and weakness, weakness. And we see it in all its, it, all its presentation. And what a great opportunity to tell the stories of a godly man, a man after God's own heart, but also as your child grows, you get to tell them the effects of adultery and lust and immorality and say you do this son and the rest of your life and your family will be affected you can't tell that story from cat in the hat or anybody else three things that I suggest that you can start to turn the hearts of your children make the boasting of Christ prominent in your home be constantly telling the, your children the stories of your life, how God has intervened and blessed you and ministered to you over the years. Tell them these stories. They will remember it. And tell them the stories of the Bible. Be found as a parent who lays down on a bed or a floor telling your child the stories of the Bible. And they will get to learn to emulate characters that are not evil, not wicked, not violent. And they will see God in all his glory. We used to have a family in our church. And they left for 
employment reasons. Some of you will remember Mel and Marlene Ricks. We had a Bible study early in the days when they were here, and I still remember it. I could put myself right in the exact spot where I was standing outside of Mel's house. And he said something to me I've never forgotten. He said, Jim, he said, Marlene and I have decided that we're never going to let our children do anything when they're little that we have to change when they're older. Now, the topic he was talking about was very specific. It was a, he had three daughters, and they found it common for families that, to allow their daughters, even when they're two and one, to dress very immodestly. And Mel Marlene disagreed with that. The point that he made, the point that I went home with, was never to allow your children to do something when they're little that you have to change when they're older. It's very difficult to let children feed on worldly books, magazines, TV shows. It's very difficult to let your child play violent, aggressive video games and then suddenly when they're 12, wonder why they don't want to read the Bible. It's very difficult to let your children do what they want, read what, what they want, watch what they want, and then suddenly at the age of 12, ask them why they're so sad that to come to church or to Sunday school or to youth group. You have allowed them to feed on garbage for 12 years. Don't expect them to love steak in a minute. So if your parents here today, and it might sound like I'm preaching at you, Jamie, I'm not. And you have young children, remember, start them young on good things. Because when they're 14, they don't want to change. Three times the Proverbs have said, and this is, I'm concluding, Three times Proverbs has said, don't be, don't be envious. This is a dad talking to his son. Don't be envious. Don't admire. Don't seek to emulate evil men. Three times. Don't be envious of them. And my question before you this morning, here this morning and those online, if you took that verse seriously today, if you suddenly before God said, I'm deciding today to change the thinking and the behavior of my children so they don't think that these people are something to be emulated, something to be liked, something to be admired, I wonder which television shows are going to be gone by the end of the day. I wonder what video games are going to be in the trash. I wonder what books on the shelf and magazines are going to be gone by the end of the day. If every Christian hearing this message this morning said, I no longer am going to allow my children to admire evil people, I wonder what would change in our homes, my home, and your home. I wonder what would change. Let's pray together. seems appropriate, Lord Jesus, that the first thing we need to say to you in response to your word is, please forgive us. We have sinned. 
We have allowed those who by their lifestyle and attitude and behavior who are destined for punishment and death to become the models that we like to emulate. We have dethroned you as the glorious king and God of all and made glamorous people with glamorous homes, with glamorous vehicles be the things that we desire. We have committed idolatry. We know how we need to be forgiven. As the people of God, we are so thankful that as, as we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fill us with thy Holy Spirit, Lord. Fill us with thy word. pray that the, the glamorous things and the glamorous people of this world will lose their value as we honor and exalt Jesus Christ in our lives. I pray this in his name. Amen. I want to leave you with a benediction from God's word. It's found in Psalm chapter 90. I'd like you to read and stand with me, I, I, please. Stand with me as we hear God's word. May these words be on your heart as you leave this place. And to you, O God, we pray and ask that your work be shown to your servants and the glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And he is faithful and he will do it. May God bless you. Have a great Lord's Day.